In this episode of 2000 Books, Tom Sterner teaches us how to handle life's challenges using the practice of mindfulness. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Tom Sterner is an entrepreneur, musician, pilot, author, and the founder of the Practicing Mind Institute. Tom's first book, The Practicing Mind, is about mastering any skill in life by learning to love the process. Today, we're talking about his new book, Fully Engaged, which just hit the stands. Fully Engaged is all about handling life's challenges using the practice of mindfulness. Tom, I'm really excited to talk to you about this topic, so welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Um, let's, let's start off by asking, I mean, you wrote The Practicing Mind. What triggered you to write this book after The Practicing Mind? Well, when I finished The Practicing Mind, I really felt like I had said everything I needed to say. Maybe even everything there was to say on the subject of present moment uh, functioning. And I really underestimated the reach of that book and the impact that it was going to have on people. And the one comment that came up, in fact, probably the only criticism I received was that the book wasn't long enough and that people wanted more information on the subject. And I, I wasn't really sure how much really what direction to go with that as far as what to talk about. But as the, um, because the book brought so much attention, I ended up having a lot of speaking engagements and one-on-one conversations uh, and coaching sessions. And I found that um, the people were asking pretty much the same questions, the, the topics that they were talking about. And could you talk more about this and that? And that was when I began to realize that there was some more things that I could cover that would make the information more complete. And that was when I had the idea to write a follow-up book. And and I also felt it was an obligation because I'm very grateful for the success of The Practicing Mind. So that was where the, uh, the idea for Fully Engaged was born. Got it. Yeah. And I think one of the key ideas that kind of uh, – was started in the practicing mind was the idea of meditation and thought awareness training in some ways. So let's talk about that. Why is that important uh, for us to live a real, fulfilling, meaningful life? Well, thought awareness training to me, some people would call it meditation. They're just labels on a skill. Is nothing that we talk about today, nothing that we talked about when we were talking about the practicing mind in our last interview, nothing of that sort is possible if you're not aware of the fact that you're not your thoughts, that you are the one that experiences your thoughts. And some of those thoughts, in fact, most of those thoughts you don't initiate. Some of them are through your intention, but most of the time your mind is just producing thoughts. The mind is a thought machine. It's a problem solver. We know this for a fact, and it's very good at it. And if you don't give it something to solve, it will go looking for something to solve. This is one of the things they've studied in sports psychology because they the mind likes to go into search mode. And generally, when it goes into search mode, it's it's never functioning in the present moment. It's always anticipating the future. It's reevaluating stuff in the past. It's taking away your consciousness from what you're doing right now in this moment. So we have to stop that process. And the only way we can stop that is through creating uh, an awareness of what our mind is doing. The two simple 
thought awareness training exercises that I tell people you can choose from is one is either just a breath based exercise or a mantra based exercise. And in a breath based, you sit comfortably in a chair. Uh, really, you can assume any position that's comfortable. I would not recommend laying down because it's too easy to become drowsy and fall asleep. You want to remain alert. But you want to be in a physical position where your body does not become a distraction, like your leg is going to sleep, your ankle is bothering you. So you, you assume that position, you close your eyes so that you don't have any visual cues that would distract you. And then if you're going to do a breath-based, you just watch your body breathe. The temptation is to control it. Uh, we're always wanting to be in control and we're always wanting to improve. So what we think is, well, I would be better at this if I slow my, my breath down. And then it becomes a distraction because you're trying to manipulate the situation and that's not what you want to do. You just want to watch your body breathe. If you're using a mantra based, it can be, as far as I'm concerned, you want something short, two, three words, and it really doesn't matter what the words are. Most people go with something like, I am still, I am quiet, I am happy, whatever works for you. And the purpose of that, just like the breath, is to give your mind a single thought to try to keep it from running off in different directions. And what will always happen is very quickly is that your mind will sneak off and it will start thinking about something else and you won't notice it. You'll be asleep basically and you will be absorbed in the thoughts that your mind is creating. And then there will be an instant where you wake up and you realize, oh, I'm not saying my mantra anymore. I'm not even, I'm saying it, but I'm not paying attention to it anymore. My attention isn't on it. My attention's on me at the grocery store or this report I have to write for work. And the same will happen if you're following your breath. You will just lose your consciousness about focusing on that and you will be absorbed in wherever your mind is taking you. And when you wake up in that moment, you just gently pull your mind back uh, to your exercise. And that is the practice in its entirety. There's no such thing as a bad thought awareness session, uh, meditation, whatever you want to call it. It just doesn't exist. It's just a practice that you repeat over and over again. I'm always amused when people say, I tried to do that and I'm not very good at it. And when you ask them why they're interpreting their experience that way. They say, well, because I'm always chasing my mind. And my response to that is, well, that's really a good meditation. That's a good thought awareness training session because you couldn't be chasing your mind if you weren't noticing that your mind wasn't on the task that you have directed it to do. And that's the whole key. That's what we're trying to develop. So in some ways, a, a session where your mind, where you feel like you're chasing all the time is really like a session at the gym where you do a lot of repetitions. Uh, every time you catch your mind, your awareness is expanding. And just as importantly, your willpower is strengthening because you're having to pull the mind back. And so you just have to understand that that's all normal. Some days your mind will be very active depending on what's going on in your life. Other days it will be more laid back. So you will have sessions where you feel like you're chasing all the time and other sessions where you'll feel like you kind of drop into a very content laid back experience. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you touched on a lot of different points here. You taught us almost how to meditate. But I want to go back on a, a really important idea there. The fact that a lot of people get uh, frustrated with meditation because they feel like they're not doing it right because they feel like they're, you know, falling off the wagon too many times, if that's the way to put it. And I've been practicing meditation on and off for 18 years now. I initially started doing what's called Vipassana meditation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but and I've been on it. And what I find that's beautiful about meditation is the awareness that we are imperfect and we are not the thoughts in the moment that we are the observer of those thoughts. That is it in a nutshell. To what we're trying to develop is the observer to bias our consciousness 
with the observer, not with the ego. And when we when we are biased with the observer, then our, we just notice our thoughts, but we're not in the thoughts. And when you're in that, when you have that position, that perspective, then you give yourself the opportunity to choose what thoughts your mind is going to create. Now, it's you need to understand that that doesn't just because you have the choice before you didn't have the choice because you were just in your thoughts and your mind was running around visiting all these situations during the day or situations were confronting you during the day and your mind was reacting. And every time this happened happens, the mind creates a series of thoughts and all those thoughts have emotional content with them. And then you're just basically experiencing them. So once you begin to separate yourself from that, now all of a sudden you have the opportunity to choose what your mind is doing. But that doesn't mean that it's easy to do that. It just means that now you have the opportunity to do it. But through the practice, your willpower, as I said, strengthens. And so you gain two things. You gain the awareness and the separation of the thoughts, and you also gain the mental strength and stamina to redirect your mind back into thought systems that serve your happiness and serve your productivity. Yeah, it's it's like you said. It's it's like a workout. It's like exercise. We are we're never the master of exercising. We never say we're done. And at the same time, we don't get frustrated one day when we're, you know, and it's not like we're not doing the perfect uh, workout or anything. We just keep on doing it because we know the process is the end goal here. Well, you just gave an analogy that I've given many times. It is like exercise. You don't reach a point in exercising in your life where you say, well, I've mastered exercising. I no longer need to do it for the rest of my life. It is part of a healthy lifestyle. And so is meditation. You know, so is thought awareness training, whatever you choose to call it. It's part of um, honing and maintaining your skills internally so that you are in you are the master of what the mind is doing. And I think that the the control that happens from it is very subtle. Uh, and what what people experience is they they feel like they're out in front of their thoughts and their emotions. They see things happening. People say things that normally would bother them and it has no impact on them because they're very separate from that thought and the reaction that thought creates. It's a it's an amazing, powerful thing. It's so simple, it's free, and it takes, you know, ten to fifteen minutes a day, although usually as you get more into it because the experience is so um it initiates such a feeling of contentment and inner peace because it thins your thoughts out. That's one of the problems that we have today is we are overstimulated mentally from all of the media input that's constantly going on around us. So because of that, when we begin to experience a thinned out thought process, it's an, it's really refreshing and amazingly um, comforting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and now, well, I mean, we've been talking about meditation quite a bit. Uh, let's Let's kind of put that in some ways to practice uh, and maybe not to practice but i want to talk about the idea of the the fact that interpretation is creating our experiences and the interpreting mind the judging mind is the one that causes the lack of uh, being fully present it is and you can't separate yourself from the interpreting mind if you don't if you're in the interpreting mind that's the whole point is you know that's what that this training does is it separates you because you're right. So much of what, how we experience situations are due to how we interpret the situation. And, uh, but it's been known for a long time that the situation just is. You mean you can take a um, – well, for example, I was uh, 
uh, something I wrote about and fully engaged. I, one time I was doing a golf clinic and there was a young, it was a group of high school and college golfers. And, um, we were talking about our thoughts. And so during the, the clinic, one of the, uh, the best golfers in the group said, let me pose a scenario to you. I'm on the 18th uh, tee. I am ahead by one stroke and I have to hit a shot. Uh, to the green and I have two choices. One is I can take the risk of hitting the ball over the water or I can hit the ball out to the left and land in the fairway and then hit my shot to the green. Now what he's basically what he was saying was that he was he had an opportunity to play safe or to play a risky shot. What should he do in that situation? And I said well first let's just let's forget about all the things that happen in, in the golf tournament, meaning you'd have to look at a number of factors. Who's the closest to you in a score? Where is that person on the course? If that person is five strokes back and they're only one hole behind you, there's no way that they can catch you. So you don't, there's no reason for you to take a risk. But I said, I think the most important thing with what you just said is that should I take the risk? I said, so let's just look at that for a minute. I said, let's ask you what club you would have to hit in this fictitious uh, scenario. And he said, well, let's just call it a seven iron. I said, okay, how far do you hit a seven iron? He said, I hit it 165 yards. I said, okay. So if I were to put you out in the middle of the fairway with nothing between you and the green and hand you a seven iron at 165 yards, you would feel like it was a no brainer. And he said, yeah. I said, but I put you in this situation and you, it's the same shot, but you have interpreted it as a risk just by your words. So now what has happened is your brain has all this information stored about how you feel in different situations. So by you saying, um, should I take the risk, what you've told your brain to do, if you actually decide to make that shot, even though it's just a 165-yard shot with a 7-iron that you've done thousands of times, you've told your brain, go get the feeling of a risky (laughs) shot hitting this seven iron and your brain goes to the hard drive and pulls that off and you experience all the emotions and all this stuff. I said, now you step up to the ball, you're feeling nervous and scared and all these things that have nothing to do with the shot. It's just a 165 yard shot with a seven iron. That's all it is. That's whether you're in the fairway, whether you're hitting it over the water, it's the same shot. So my point is situations, many times they just are, they're not this or that they just are and then we interpret them and our interpretation creates our experience of them and when we interpret them in a bad way then we influence our ability to perform in them so if you look at it you know i have a pilot's license if the engine quits at 5,000 feet you have two ways of interpreting that situation one is you can scream all the way to the ground the other way is that you can look at it in a very analytical way and say okay what are my options here and you can think as clearly as possible and i've been in training with um instructors that have been through these situations where the engine has quit at night and they can't see the ground, they're in the dark, and that's what they do. They fall under this procedure where they just check this, check that, check this, check that, and they restart the engine. So my point is is that somebody could say yes, but you're very much in danger in that scenario there if the engine quits. But my response is 
Yes, but screaming all the way to the ground is not going to change that situation and make you survive it. So if you can learn to separate yourself from the emotional content of the situation and you can learn and you can do that if you have thought awareness because you can see the, the panicking thoughts happening. I, like When uh, Captain Sully landed on the, the Hudson River, he said there's, there, were, there were these impulses to panic, but he dropped into these procedures that he had been through so many times in his life and that's the reason why he no one was hurt in that situation. So I think we really need to look at interpretation of a situation. I always ask myself when I am in a difficult situation, if I could handle this any way that I wanted, what would that be? And let's shoot for that. You know, if you can. But I have that option because I am aware of my thoughts and I feel the thoughts, the, the uh, anxiety thoughts, the panicking thoughts coming on. I'm not in them. I'm aware that they're beginning to happen. So I've given myself the choice of making a plan. And then when I look at the plan, I say, okay, uh, if I could handle this any way I want, what would that be? And now I've got a direction to go into that's going to be much more productive. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's fascinating what you said towards the end. The fact that we have, we, the awareness we have to develop the awareness first and once we have developed the awareness now we can interpret the moments or those events the way we want them to otherwise we're at the mercy of life in some ways we're at the mercy of circumstances and events but when we choose to create the space between that event and our interpretation and our thoughts then we are in some ways freeing ourselves from that bondage we are. And it's it's an amazing feeling of self-empowerment when you can do that. You realize that you are in control. You're not the puppet of your mind. You're not the puppet of your emotion. You are the master of it. And you, you know, when you have that first time where the mind tries to pull in a certain direction that is fearful or full of anxiety and you say, no, we're not going there. And you redirect it in this productive direction. That experience what I find is it proves to you what is possible through this study of thought awareness. And then now you've got confidence in the system and you see the point of it because you have conscious experience of using it in a situation where before you would have been a total fail. So it's once you go through that, you are inspired to continue your practice because you can see a practical application of it in your life. And what you were talking about earlier, the whole situation when your plane engines give away and what you do in the process and what you do as a result, that is what you talk about in the book called premeditated procedures, right? Because you go into a premeditated procedure as soon as something bad that you kind of sort of anticipated happens or not necessarily anticipated, but you planned for it. And when it happens, you say, okay, I will just go through this process one by one and be fully aware in the moment. That's correct. I think, you know, one of the things we have to understand is that almost everything that we do is the result of a habit. It's habituated responses. And we can use those habits as service or we can be a victim of them. And what you're doing with a procedure is you're, you're creating a habituated response for a particular situation. And I feel like if you look at a situation, a circumstance that you tend to struggle with, and before you're in it, when you're completely removed from it, you say, go back to what I said earlier, if I could handle that situation any way that I wanted, what would that be? And there in that moment of calmness where your ego is not involved and your emotions are not involved, you have the opportunity to say, what would be the most productive way? If I could just imagine how would I like to handle this 
uh, hand, how would I like to process the situation myself? How would I like to experience the situation? And then you create this procedure. And the value of that is then you can look at the situation itself as the trigger so that when the situation starts to happen, it triggers the procedure. And so if you were to equate it back to the airplane thing, there is a procedure for everything you do. There's a procedure for pre-flighting the airplane before you get in it. There's a a procedure for starting the airplane up, for going through what they call a run-up to make sure that the airplane is uh, capable and safe to fly on that particular day. There are procedures for if the engine quits. You know, there's procedures for everything. And you practice those procedures to a point of repletion. And you get to the point where when something happens, you just automatically drop into this procedure because it's something, it's a reaction that you have habituated. It's extremely powerful. And that's, if you look at things, not just like pilots, but if you look at like EMTs that have to come up on horrific car accident situations and all those, and the people in the ER, they can't allow themselves to be pulled into the emotional content of a situation. So they have, if they see this, they order this. If they see that, they order that. And they just drop into this habituated response. And once again, you can't do that unless you can separate yourself from the situation. You need that separation. So by giving yourself this time before you're in the situation to analyze the situation and not judge it, you're analyzing and you're saying, okay, if this person says this to me or this particular situation comes up, this is how I'll handle handle it. Now you've already made your decisions. You don't need to be making those decisions when you have these confusing emotions running around and clouding up your decision-making ability. So now you've already made these decisions of this is what I'm going to drop back to if this happens. And you have a procedure for it. And then you realize that the situation is the trigger. And that's what carries you through that moment of impulse where the situation happens. So for example, if it's a, a, a person at your uh, work or that you have to deal with, that's a very difficult person. Well, you know, that person is going to be difficult because you've dealt with them you know, many times. So you decide, okay, when that person walks in, the room that's the trigger and i'm going to have this procedure for separating myself from the way that they normally make me feel and you go through this and you decide how you're going to handle that and what happens is the person walks in the room it almost becomes a game i i for myself what i do in those situations as soon as that the, the stressful situation starts i say to myself okay tom game on Show me what you got. Let me see what I can do with this. And so all of a sudden, I've completely changed my perspective of where I am in that particular circumstance. Instead of just reacting emotionally, for me, it's like a game. Like, I'm going to beat those emotional reactions, and I'm going to win in this situation. And it really becomes kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 very interesting that, you know, it all starts, like, all of these amazing um, uh, processes or steps, they all start with us bringing awareness to the fact that we are separate from our thoughts. We are separate from our emotional, emotionally intense feeling in that moment. And as soon as we create the separation, now we have the awareness to create, pre, like to be going to our premeditated procedures and to do the interpretations to create the right experiences. And also in some ways to embrace, you know, constant change and uncertainties that life will bring no matter what we do, right? That's right. I, you know, I was taught, like so many people, particularly in the West, that your emotions are your emotions. You don't have any control over your emotions. In fact, I remember hearing that over and over again. Well, those are your emotions. You have no control over your emotions, which is totally untrue. And I think that um, when you look at somebody, 
if you if you watch somebody who's worrying and you say what's go, what's wrong and they say well I'm worrying about this and you say well worrying is a thought you can't worry if you're not thinking you know thinking is the is the vehicle thought is the vehicle for the emotional experience of worrying and everything else that we experience anger joy no matter what it is it comes from the processing of it the conscious processing of it so you know when you tell people well, just stop thinking those thoughts and you can stop worrying. But their initial response is, well, I can't do that. Well, yes, you can do that. But we're not taught to do that. We're not even taught that it's possible. So I think that this is really important that we begin to realize this and that we pay it the attention that it deserves because it has everything to do with self-control, um, self-empowerment, uh, being able to live the life that you want, being able to make clear, focused decisions. It's, it's everything. Yeah, yeah. And there's something very interesting you said in the book. And uh, I'm going to preface that by saying that I think our listeners know this. I'm a big fan of paradoxes in life. and I feel they're very powerful. And one of the paradoxes you presented was that difficult changes require inner strength, but at the same time, they create inner strength as we experience them. Tell us about that. Talk to us about that. Well, that's true. If we look at something that we want to be, um, we want to have inner strength at dealing with, whether that's going to a, a very difficult job interview or losing a family member or a friend to an illness. Uh, and if we say, you know, if you ask somebody, how would you like to be able to handle that? And the person said, well, I would like to be able to be strong and able to support the other people that are experiencing this situation. Well, my observation is that you can't become strong in those situations if you don't go through those situations. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's the key, is that we tend to look at situations where we feel like we're struggling. And I, I think I should say this. When you notice that you're struggling in a situation, that's an indication to you that you're in the process of learning how to master that situation. If you look at it like that, if you look at it like this is an opportunity for me to focus on mastering how I process this situation instead of looking at it as this is a very uncomfortable situation. You know, that when you start to see it as an opportunity to master this um, situation, and the reason it is an opportunity is because you, you obviously haven't mastered it. That's why it feels so uncomfortable. The things that you can do well are easy for you to do. That's the reason why you don't notice them. The things when you feel like you're struggling, it means that you're up against a personal threshold. You're up against an area in your personality, in your growth, where you have to you have to push through that threshold. And if you can separate yourself from that, once again, with this thought awareness, you can set you can have that second to realize that instead of just caving into the emotion, to realize, you know what, this is an opportunity for me. If I want to be good at dealing with the situation, if I want to be more comfortable in these situations, I have to be in the situation in order to practice the procedures and the ideas that I have prepared, that I've used for preparation for this situation. So, you know, if you want to be good at singing in front of people, you can sing in front of the mirror in your bedroom all you want, but you're not going to be comfortable and free to express yourself and free of the nervousness and everything else that comes from standing up in front of people while I remember the words and all these other things, unless you get up in front of people and sing. That's what creates the opportunity for you to progress through the, the um, your lack of skill in that situation it's it's a you know when you can see things from that perspective it's a very subtle shift but it completely changes your interpretation of mm -hmm. the experience and so your experience of the situation absolutely it's you know the whole as we step back from the book as i step back from what we've been talking about i can see we're talking about the idea that 
life in some ways you know being fully engaged really means that we have to be able to become an observer of the events of the circumstances of the situations as they present to us and be able to flow with them to be in some ways as bruce lee says like water not necessarily try to impose the only like uh, not necessarily try to be the person who's just completely embroiled in those thoughts and emotions and cannot abstract themselves from them that's right i think that this is What's interesting about what we're talking about here is that these are precepts that that have been in Eastern thought for centuries, mm-hmm. uh, thousands of years. They are now being they have now been proven out through empirical Western science, and they're being used in to up the performance in athletes and um, and executives. You know, now we've proven. I, that's why I think it's so fascinating to me that they're they're really just two sides of the same coin. It's um, we just didn't see that before. If you weren't interested in Eastern thought, you would have never noticed it. But now, um, with all the study that's going on in these universities and everything, and how do we get people to function at the highest level? Well, you know, we realize that it's getting them to be in the present moment, because the present moment is the only thing that's real. Everything else is not happening now. And so what is where you are, um, when you're in the present moment, and you're fully engaged, you have one thing, there's several things that happen. One is that your thoughts thin out because your mind is only processing what's in front of it. It's not processing all these contingencies and what if uh, that uh, it usually is uh, regrets from the past and uh, what happens if this happens in the future and all these things. It's only focusing on what's going on right in front of it. So your thoughts thin out, which means that you have clarity and focus. And the other thing is that you have access to 100% of your consciousness, because your consciousness isn't being spread out over all these different thought processes that have nothing to do with what you're doing right now. It's very empowering, and we've found that it's very, it's extremely fatiguing to have a mind that is just running all over the place. Uh, but that that distracted mind feels normal to us because it's the way that most of us live most of the time. So uh, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it's abnormal. And I, I see, I was just talking to um, uh, a friend of mine who was saying that they're, they're struggling with this ADD that they never had. And I said, well, that's the environment that we live in. We have all of this. It's not necessarily a physical thing with you. I told her that it's because the in our environment, we're connected to the media all the time through smartphones, through television, through uh, computers. The advertisements are going. We're constantly being distracted. Texts are coming in. You watch people. They're sitting right next to somebody. And half the time, they're texting them, even though they're sitting right next to them. It's crazy. Uh, but it's become... Uh, you know, an epidemic with us. And a story I tell very quickly is uh, because I sail, you know, it's one of the things I enjoy doing is sailing, is that I read an article in a sailing magazine where this guy had gone to the Caribbean islands to get away. And he said he was sitting in the boat at sunset and he was in the marina. And next, right in the next slip was a family of four that had come there on vacation to get away from all this stuff. And he said, and there's this unbelievably beautiful sunset going on. He said, and he's watching them that both parents were on their own iPads and both kids had their faces in their cell phones. <laughs> he said like they were completely oblivious to this sunset that was going on. This was what they came down here for. And they were so addicted to looking at their screens that um, they were missing the whole thing. It's really tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so profound in some ways because the whole effort here is to become present 
in the moment right now, become fully engaged, to become fully engaged with what we have in front of you and what we have in front of us. So, Tom, uh, let's give our listeners three specific action items, homework if you want to call it, whatever it might be, so that they can go and apply these ideas, these lessons they have learned so far? Well, I'd say number one is the thought awareness training. I think we've made that abundantly clear. You have to do that. A second thing that I would... So how, how often do you do it? What's usually a good timeline? Well, I think for most people, it's uh, you know 10 to 15 minutes uh, a day. If you can't find 10 to 15 minutes, you need to clear your schedule. I mean, you've got... Um, there's no reason to turn the TV off, stop turning your phone off for 15 minutes. You're, you are definitely worth it to spend 15 minutes in quieting your mind. One of the problems we have today is our minds are just constantly being ramped up. And uh, and so our, they're at, our mind is in a constant state of agitation and overthinking. And you need to spend 15 minutes a day calming your mind down. The benefits you get with that will, will far out will far exceed the amount of time that you're spending with that. So I would say that that's it. Either, either system, you know, either a breath-based or a mantra-based. I don't... There's nothing wrong with guided meditations. They have their place and they're they're very wonderful. But what we're trying, they all require you to think because they're giving you ex- instructions. And what we're trying to do here is to stop thinking and to notice what our mind is doing when we're telling it to stop thinking. So that's that's really what we're after. So that's the reason why I suggest these two. Um, the next thing I would would uh, suggest is. Uh, when you have that is to create to look at situations and just start with one so you can prove it to yourself look at a situation that you find that generally triggers an anxiety response from you and come up with some sort of a procedure when you're still and you're not in that situation so that you can um, put yourself through that that moment of impulse where your the, the emotions are pulling you to react the way that you have Uh, formed a habit to react over thousands of times or hundreds of times and remember that sometimes in these situations that as we talked i talked about in the practicing mind it's a do observe correct uh, Mm -hmm. doc you may not have enough information on your first attempt to really get it right and that's completely normal and it's perfectly okay so come up with a plan and then execute the plan when the situation happens and after you do that say to yourself did that work well some have worked i could have done this it might have been more helpful so that's the do and then you observe and then you make your correction so you're ready for the next time and i would i would um also suggest that you practice this mentally in your head so that you're not trying it out for the first time when you actually are in the situation Uh, and also realize that the situation is an opportunity for you to push through this this threshold that you're um you need to that you're you're learning to master and then i would say the last thing is which i use is the what if um and then what mantra and i use that whenever i feel impatient in the situation that I'm in. That usually means that you're very attached to a place, a point in the future, getting to a point, having something, acquiring something, accomplishing something. And when you're feeling impatience towards that, um, I like to tell people to ask yourself, and then what? Envision in your mind, you're there. You This thing has happened. You're there. You've accomplished it. And then what? Are you going to feel completely realized? Are you going to feel totally fulfilled for the rest of your life? Or is something just going to replace that 
right after that? And the answer is something is going to replace it. We've done this our whole life. It's a cycle that we go through over and over again. We had to have that bike. We needed this car. We wanted that prom dress, whatever it is. We've always in this state of feeling incomplete and feeling like if I could just get to here, then this feeling will go away. And understand that that feeling is a good thing. That feeling is there. It's a part of our spiritual DNA to make us want to expand, to make us want to grow, to make us want to constantly be in a state of mastering and refining our life. It's not a bad thing, but when we interpret it as I can't be happy with where I am, that's when it becomes uh, something that makes us miserable. This is great. This is great. A lot of great ideas here to implement. Tom, this has been a lot of fun. So tell our listeners how to find you, how to get hold of you, where to find the book. I know it's out in the stores now or out on Amazon now as of October the 18th or October the 20th. Yeah. That's right. The best way to get in touch with me is through TomSterner.com. So it's just T-O-M-S-T-E-R-N-E-R.com. There's a, uh, they can send me a message if they want. There's a direct to uh, direct link to coaching if they want to have a free consultation to see if there's something I can do for them. But all the information is there about the books uh, as far as where they can get them. Uh, that's a good place to start. I actually have the Practicing Mind Institute, but you can get there from TomSterner.com. And there's also a site on just on the practicing line, which you can also get there through thomasturner.com. Perfect. All right, Tom. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, We really appreciate it. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you so much. Well, last month was really exciting because I got to talk to a lot of you one-on-one. I got to understand your challenges and your frustrations in your entrepreneurial journey. And a lot of you got back to me after the call saying that you applied the advice you got from me and it helped you out tremendously. And that to me is one of the most rewarding things for me, knowing that I was able to help you move forward. So even though my initial plan was to just do this for one month, given the fun I had and given your overwhelming response and request, I have opened up my Thursdays for this month as well. So I'll do this again. I will talk to you, listen to you, answer any and all business questions you may have and take in any suggestions you have for us, for the podcast, for the YouTube channel, for our products. So if you would like to talk to me, just schedule a free 30-minute chat with me at 2000books.com slash discuss or text the word discuss to 44222 and we will get talking, you and I. Now, I'm really excited about this because it will really give me the opportunity to get to know you, understand you, and serve you better. By the way, I want to be doubly clear that this is not a sales call. I will not pitch anything to you, and I hope you won't sell anything to me either, okay? So let's just talk like friends. Deal? All right. So I'm only doing this for Thursdays, and there are only four Thursdays this month. So get a time slot before they're all gone. Just head on over to 2000books.com slash discus or text the word discus to 44222 and schedule a time that is convenient for you. And now I'm really looking forward to talking with you. So let's do this. So a lot of you have asked me how I consume seven books a week. Well, I do read a lot, but I also listen to audiobooks when I'm driving, when I'm working out, when I'm running errands, when I'm out running. It's such a great use of my time. And not only that, I listen to the books at three times the normal speed. Yeah, it's 3x. So I consume a six-hour-long book in two hours flat. I just love Audible for that. And I've been using it for years now. And right now, you can... Give Audible a try by signing up for a free trial membership and get 
any audiobook in their library for free. And if you don't like it, just cancel the trial membership and you won't be charged anything. However, you still get to keep the audiobook forever for free. So to avail this offer, just head on over to 2000books.com slash free. That's 2000books.com slash F-R-E-E free. Well, until next time, my ambitious friends, go out and live a courageous life.